engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. It is Atlanta's Evening News. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. WSB's Clark Howard. He is leading a rare midsummer habitat build in Atlanta. He needs you, the WSB listeners, to volunteer to help the build. It's a great day with Clark. It'll make you feel good. Get information. Volunteer at wsbradio.com. You too can learn to build a house. Teach your kids skills. Make them sweat this summer pounding nails instead of buttons on an Xbox. Get them out with Clark Howard and build a house for Habitat. Now, news. Can, can I, I, I really, I don't want to dwell on the subject, but it is worth talking about a little more. Uh, as uh, the various Holocaust and Jewish memorial groups in this country have come out denouncing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for saying that the president is uh, operating concentration camps in the United States. It's actually kind of striking to me the number of reporters and, and journalists who are defending her, including Chris Hayes at MSNBC, Michelle Goldberg at uh, The New York Times, who, by the way, says the president is engaged in ethnic cleansing. Um, this is it's it's really kind of amazing to me that they're journalists who are defending this. But I, I just, I want to put this in perspective. I I want to put this, you just, just let's, let's get some focus on this. Let, let, let me just ask you, if, if you're black, let me just ask you, you're, you're a black man or woman in the United States and you f- get wind of the fact that the government has begin, begun rounding up black people in the United States and re-enslaving them, contrary to the 13th Amendment. What would you do? If you're black or you're Jewish, you're Jewish, and you hear that the United States government is operating concentration camps in the United States, well, what do you do? I'm actually curious, you know, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Uh, you're black. You hear the government is, is re-enslaving the black population in this country. What do you do? You, you're you Jewish, and you hear the government is operating concentration camps in the United States of America. What, what do you do? Well, what do you do? Uh, I, I'm interested in what your reaction is. Or or you're a, you're a person who believes in justice in the United States. You believe in justice. You believe there's a right and a wrong. And you're being told by members of Congress that your American government, funded by your tax dollars, is putting people in concentration camps. What do you do? Can I suggest to you that the thing you don't do is mean tweet? Because that, that's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing. And that's what Chris Hayes from MSNBC is doing. That's what Michelle Goldberg is doing that. That's what all of these people are doing. Is they're going on Twitter and they're pounding their keyboards. They're 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 to arms to arms, and where arms is a keyboard. And they're saying the president's committing ethnic cleansing. They're saying that the president is operating concentration camps. I'm just I'm actually curious in a, in a real non-Twitter person, if you're told that the government is operating concentration camps. If you're told the government is re-enslaving populations, what does a normal person do? If it's true, let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically, it's true. Hypothetically, the government is 
rounding people up and putting them in concentration camps. The government is re-enslaving black populations in this country. You as an American citizen, what would your response be? And I ask this way, and I actually am curious as, as to what you'd say, but because I submit to you that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is out there saying she really believes this, that she's serious, that she's not. She actually clarified today. She she doubled down on it. She says she's not being hysterical. These actually are concentration camps, and the American president is putting children in concentration camps. She's a member of Congress. She's not doing anything about it. She's just tweeting do you not have the courage of your convictions? Do you not have courage and conviction? Are you a moral coward? Because I, I, I personally don't think that I would run to Twitter if I thought the government was actually putting people in concentration camps. If I thought the government was re-enslaving my, my black neighbors, I assure you my first response would not be to go rush to Twitter. It would be to go walk down to the street to, to my black neighbors and make sure that they can come hide at my house and stay and let's figure out what's going on and is this true? And go down to the local gun store and stockpile some bullets to protect my neighbors. It would not be to rush to Twitter. And yet that that's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing. That's what Chris Hayes is doing. That's, that's what Michelle Goldberg is doing. They're rushing off to Twitter to say, oh, we're, we're, we're putting people in concentration camps. Let's tweet about it. Moral cowards. Is that the best you're going to do? Now, I I actually, there, there's a reason I, I'm, I want your thoughts on this. And there is a reason I'm framing it. There actually is a very real reason here. I realize you're wondering, oh my gosh, Atlanta's Evening News has lost his, Eric has gone off the rails. No, 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 there, there's, there's, a, there's a legit point to be made here. I am going to go first because uh, there, there's a point here. Method to my madness, just bear with me. But, but Jeff and Roswell, welcome. Hey, how are you, Eric? I'm good. So, you taking the call. So what would you do if you heard this was happening, if the government was doing this? What would you do? Well, I'd like to respond to the question by just making a statement. And, and I had the opportunity to visit Auschwitz mm-hmm. in Poland. And when you see the enormity uh, of that and what it was about, and you see the containers of children's shoes stacked up to the to the ceiling and luggage that was never going to be returned and you go into the gas chamber where the fingernails scratched on the concrete which is still there and then you listen to someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez make that comparison there is no comparison there's no comparison at all and it just goes to show me how how irresponsible and how shallow she is as a person and, and her thought process that you would even begin to, to lump those things in the same category because they simply don't exist in the same category. Yeah. Look, I, I that's very well said, Jeff, and, and I wonder if she's ever been there. Thank you very much for your phone call. Uh, Jerry in Smyrna, welcome. So what would what would you do if, if you found out the government was operating concentration camps? Well, I'm a black female that lives in the Atlanta metropolitan area. You go into protection mode. If you honestly believe that something like that is happening, you don't you don't just talk about it you have to begin to do something and if you believe that there is a threat and there is danger you have to go into protection mode and that would mean people need to gather together in their communities and as you said 
find ways to protect themselves, whether they be with arms or other means. Because if your government is doing it, you, you cannot rely on them to protect you. Yeah, that, that, that's so well said. That, that, and thank you for that. This, this, this gets towards my point here. Uh, thank you for that, Jerry. Hey, David and Tyrone, you're next. Thank you for taking my call, Eric. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, Eric, I'm, I'm as white as they come. Born and raised in Georgia. Dude, you hadn't seen my legs. Uh, I, I got you beat on the whiteness. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, sir. I don't want to see that. <laughs> uh, but listen, uh, you, you, you remember the Bundy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of second right amendment uh, organizations and such. And we've had these hypothetical discussions in the past. I would like to think that 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 thousand people out in Bundy would multiply by a factor of a hundred thousand, and we'd lay siege to Washington. I don't believe most Americans would tolerate that for three seconds. Yeah, I I, I hope I'm right, but I, I, look, I, I agree with you. It, but I think you are right. I don't believe we'd put up with it, whatever our skin color, for three seconds. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm I'm right there with you, David. Thanks very much for that. Uh, let's see, John in, in Alpharetta. Uh, what do you think about this? Thank you, Eric. I appreciate your time. Uh, listen, in, in uh, there's a there was a Fourth Geneva Convention, and this is my point in regard to uh, OAC and her ignorance. And it, it, it's in regard. First of all, we're not at war. Yeah, there's a crisis at the southern border. There's there's people needing asylum, and there's situations like that. But we're not at war. Concentration camps came out of war, particularly. Going back to the, the first one that, that gave the actual name to it, the Boer War, the Anglo-Boer War, that the British uh, put in concentration camps, a whole nation, and almost took them out totally in South Africa. And then after 1924, Hitler decided to do the same thing to the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Those are, are Holocaust in themselves. You know, there's a whole history of it, but my concern is that she doesn't even know the definition of a, what a concentration right. camp is. There's never been a – we're not at war, and, there, and people that we're offering asylum to don't get put into concentration camps. Yeah. And that's what offends me oh, as it, a human it's, being. It's, it's deeply, deeply offensive, John. Thanks very much. Uh, one more on this, and, and then I'm, I'm done with calls here. Uh, but I want to take Nick and Cumming. Uh, Nick, Nick, what do you think? What, what would you do if you found out that your government was operating concentration camps? Well, I do the same kind of – that uh, you do, pretty much, you know, go make sure neighbors are safe, see what I can do to round up the troops and such. But what I was really wondering was, you know how you said Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is being a Twitter warrior and going to Twitter to leave the cause? Mm-hmm. Well, isn't this the same Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez after the New, England mass- New-, New Zealand massacre said, what good are thoughts and prayers? Yeah. Yep, it, it is. Um, she She's politicized all of these events. She has uh, attacked them repeatedly, uh, but on this particular issue, she says the government's operating concentration camp, and she's doing nothing. She's a sitting member of Congress. She's not holding hearings. She's not holding investigations. She has it within her power to do it. She can rally the Democrats to do it. They're not doing it. They're not advancing legislation to, to deal with this. They're not doing anything. What would you do if the government told you, or if you were told the government was operating concentration camps or enslaving people. Now, I don't need to take any more phone calls because I think the point is made here, but there's a greater point that you need to understand, and I want to discuss that with you when we come back. So stick around because 
I shouldn't have to, but yeah, we need to discuss this. I'm so excited to have blinds.com sponsoring the show because I actually need new blinds and I've been thinking about going there and I really didn't know a lot about them. Then they asked to sponsor the podcast. I've heard others sponsor them as well. We've got some um, wooden shutters and you know what? Blinds.com can take care of you. For many of us, our blinds or whatever you have in the window, they're an afterthought. But with brand new made-to-order custom window coverings from Blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. When they're right, everything in your home looks better. When they're wrong, the home looks cheap. And you know what? If you need new blinds, go to Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable quality custom window coverings whether you're looking for energy efficiency you just moved you want to refresh your homes blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy blinds.com makes it fast and easy you get free samples free shipping free online design consultation what you can do is you can send them pictures of your house they send it back custom recommendations from a professional about what works with your color scheme your furniture your specific rooms they'll even send you free samples to make sure everything's good in person and this is the best part if you accidentally mismeasure or pick the wrong color if you made a mistake Blinds.com is going to remake the blinds for free. They are really easy to use, really easy to work with. For a limited time, you get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That's Blinds.com. Your promo code is ERIC for $20 off. Faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, they got a lot. Blinds.com, promo code ERIC. Rules and restrictions apply. Okay, so here's the thing. If you're just tuning in, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News. And I started the show, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, saying the government is operating concentration camps and members of the media, liberal members of the media, defending her, saying, yes, the government is operating concentration camps. If the government is really operating concentration camps and your reaction is to mean tweet, you're a moral coward. Now, here's the thing, though. I, I don't think that she actually is just mean tweeting. I'm starting to wonder if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and some of these other people are are trying to encourage someone to shoot the president. And I mean that just as not hysterically as she apparently means that we are operating concentration camps. And we shouldn't have to think this, but we live in the era of James Hodgkinson. James Hodgkinson heard Democratic members of Congress say Republicans were going to kill people. And so he got a gun and went to a baseball practice and attempted a mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. Now you have a sitting member of the United States Congress and members of the media saying, yes, President Trump is operating a concentration camp, and they're serious. They may be on Twitter, but maybe just maybe part of them is hoping that another James Hodgkinson will stand up. And that's deeply troubling. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went on record last week and said she thinks if the president is not removed from office by impeachment that he'll get reelected and that they have to stop him because he's a danger to the people. Is she trying to get the president shot? I Listen, when – what's her name? That other anti-Semitic uh, member of Congress, the freshman woman, said something crazy and the president pushed back at her. The members of the media pounced on the president and said, you're trying to get this woman hurt. You're trying to have someone cause violence against her. 
Here you have members of the media themselves and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez herself saying you're running concentration camps and no, we're not being hysterical and no, we're not joking. You actually are. If you really believe it, what are you going to do? Think of the James Hodgkinsons out there or the Floyd Lee Corkins. Floyd Lee Corkins believed the Southern Poverty Law Center's website that uh, the Family Research Council was out to suppress and harm gay people. And so he decided to go shoot the place up. This is irresponsible rhetoric. And the fact that the media wants to be super quiet or applaud her for saying it, you all should be horrified regardless of your party. Donald Trump could never get away with what the media is letting her get away with. The media would hold him accountable, but they're not holding her accountable. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Those are the numbers. Uh, you know, just real quick, let me wrap up this point before we move on. Interesting juxtaposition. Uh, pro-lifers believe abortion is a holocaust of the unborn. They, they believe that uh, millions of children are murdered, killed, that they shouldn't be. And so what are pro-lifers doing? Uh, some have behaved violently, most, though, working uh, through the legal system, uh, judicial fights, finding good judges, uh, working to get Roe v. Wade repealed, working in state legislatures to curtail abortion rights, working to ban abortion, working to change the hearts and minds of people who may be considering an abortion. What's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doing, a member of Congress who could hold hearings, who, who could work with Democrats to do something? What's she doing? Rushing to Twitter. Perhaps she doesn't really believe it, even though she says she does. Perhaps she's trying to gin up some madman to do what James Hodgkinson did. Now, to move on, uh, I wasn't going to talk about this, but actually Senator Cotton's office just pinged me and said, uh, right up my alley, considering what's going on in Georgia. Uh, Senator Cotton, it will be at the resurgent gathering. Um, I I want to tell you so bad who's coming in. I'm not allowed to. The Secret Service won't yet clear it. Um, so... Uh, the governor's coming. Um, Tim Scott from South Carolina is coming. Tom Cotton from Arkansas is coming. Jody Heiss from Georgia is coming. Doug Collins from Georgia is coming. Ajit Pai, the FCC chairman's coming. Mark Meadows from North Carolina is coming. Uh, we'll have a number of other people, some of whom I can't announce yet, coming. Um, the really big one, though, we, we can't yet. Uh, security's got to get squared away. But you can come by texting the word Atlanta to 345345. And it's 99 bucks. Uh, once I can tell you publicly who's coming, I'm jacking the price up. So text Atlanta to 345-345. Tom Cotton is going to be there. This is something we may talk about. He took to the floor of the Senate earlier today uh, to talk about uh, corporations falling in with the left against the pro-life community. So not everyone agrees when or even if we ought to protect the unborn. And I understand that. I know there are decent people on both sides of this sensitive issue. We resolve our differences, reach compromises through democratic debate. What should never happen, though, is billion-dollar corporations trying to dictate these moral questions to us. Politically correct CEOs shouldn't be in the business of threatening normal Americans. But that's exactly what we've seen lately. The loudest objections to these pro-life laws haven't come from the bottom up, 
from normal citizens who happen to disagree with one another, but from the top down, from cultural elites, and increasingly from giant corporations who wield their economic power as a weapon to punish the American people for daring to challenge their pro-abortion extremism. Now, why? Cotton goes on to talk about why are they doing this? Why are corporations the ones being most vocal about abortion? Now, I get why outfits like Planned Parenthood or NARAL would say babies are bad for business. Abortion is their business, after all, and they're just protecting market share. But what about all those other CEOs? Why do they think babies are, quote, bad for business? Perhaps because they want their workers to focus single-mindedly on working, not building a family and raising children. All these politically correct CEOs want company men and women, not family men and women. They'll support your individuality and self-expression just so long as you stay unattached and on the clock. Yep. Amen to that. I mean, that, that really is what a lot of this is about is, you know, why there's a wage gap in this country between men and women. It has to do with personal choice, not discrimination. Women tend to leave. They have babies. They stay home. They raise their children. It puts them behind in the workforce. And corporations want to get rid of the wage gap. Well, they can't get rid of their wage gap unless they get rid of kids. So they totally have to support abortion rights. They totally have to support your right to an abortion. Some companies, they don't want it advertised, but they'll pay for your abortion. I mean, that that's what the Democrats want. It's what corporations want because babies are bad for their bottom line, insurance costs and everything else. So they got to do that. Uh, good for him. We, we will talk about this. By the way, um, real quick. One of our we've lost one of our sponsors for the resurgent gathering. Uh, I, I don't want to tell you who they are. It's just it was a circumstance they were going to be one of the lead sponsors, and I got to find some sponsors for the resurgent gathering. If, if you sponsor events, it's not a nonprofit, but uh, you can take an advertising deduction, I, I assume. Um, so if you got a business that's interested in being a sponsor uh, of the gathering, I don't know if we need to do like tables or something. I've never done anything like that. I just had a sponsor who was going to write a very large check and now they can't because of some unforeseen, uh, problems in Washington, but I'm always happy to have more sponsors. We'll put you on the page. Uh, you can say it was advertising, I guess, and, and take a deduction for your business for advertising at the, at the gathering, but, uh, we're not a nonprofit. So individuals, if you donate, you can't, uh, take a tax deduction because we deal with politics, so we can't be a nonprofit, but I got to find replacement sponsors. So, um, if you can, if you're interested, uh, let us know, Eric at the resurgent.com call us, let us know. Uh, I got to find a couple to replace, uh, a good chunk of change. Uh, it's going to be a good event, though, and when I can tell you who's coming, w once the powers that be in D.C. let me, you'll be very excited and you'll want to come. So you can text Atlanta to 345-345. I'll send you back the Eventbrite link. It is $99 now. It's going up to $200 here very shortly because we're very close to being able to make that announcement. Also, tomorrow, I'm going to be sitting down with Governor Brian Kemp and talking to him. He will be at the Resurgent Gathering. I want to talk to him about economic stuff. I'm also interested in the um, in his take on the Must Ministries issue. Uh, I, I don't want to dwell on Must Ministries. Some some of you, by the way, very annoyed with me for this because you, you think there's, there's merit to the argument that the government shouldn't let individuals feed poor kids. Uh, because they might get food poisoning. Uh, nonetheless, I, what I find very interesting is there is an op-ed in the Marietta Daily Journal, and 
It is an op-ed by Mark Hyden and Shoshana Weissman. Shoshana is somebody who fights for regulatory reform and, and making it easier for people to do business and work. Um, she works in D.C. Mark Hyden is the director of state governmental affairs at R Street Institute and is a longtime Cobb County resident. And one of the things they note, which I find very disturbing, and it's part of a trend here, let me just read you a paragraph from their op-ed. Uh, Over-eager enforcement of food safety codes is not unique to Georgia. Last fall, Missouri officials poured bleach on food intended for the homeless because volunteers did not have a permit to feed the poor. A Louisiana health inspector bleached 1,600 pounds of venison donated to a homeless shelter because it came from an individual. And former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg went a step further, having the city of New York ban food donations to the poor. We got Americans who want to feed the homeless, who are willing to feed the homeless, and governments are banning them from doing it. This is just nonsensical. As I mentioned, I'm going to interview Governor Brian Kemp tomorrow. Um, I, I, y'all, this this whole story makes me laugh. Uh, it, it not the headline is Governor Georgia Governor's key appointments have surprised even his critics. It's a Greg Bluestein story in the AJC. The first Hispanic to serve as state constitutional officer in Georgia history. The first African American woman to work as Cobb County's top prosecutor. The first woman to sit on the Superior Court bench in a stretch of West Georgia counties. In the five months since he took office, Governor Brian Kemp has tapped a diverse group to fill some of the state's highest-profile openings. It's come as a pleasant surprise to some of his critics who worried he would take the opposite tack after he won a narrow victory by appealing to the GOP's white base. Hispanic advocacy groups lauded his selection of John King, the Doraville police chief, to replace suspended insurance commissioner Jim Beck. Democrats praised his criminal justice appointments, and judicial veterans applauded his early picks for key spots in the judiciary. Governor Kemp seems to be focused on qualifications and not on ideology, said former Georgia Supreme Court Justice Lee Ward Sears, who was the nation's first African-American woman to preside over state Supreme Court. It's refreshing in this day and age because, as you know, judges aren't supposed to be politicians and district attorneys aren't supposed to prosecute based on political considerations. An AJC analysis found Kemp selected women for about half of the roughly 80 appointments he's made to state boards and criminal justice posts since January. A quarter of those were minority Mostly African-American, three were <gasps> LGBTQ. We, we just keep expanding. Can we come up with a different thing? Because right now we're at LGBTQ, and then there's I and A and A and A and A and A. And hey, Pam, don't you leave. I have to talk to you. Um, sorry, I just saw my friend Pam, and, and she's in the other room, and I need to talk to her. Um, this is, We, we got to come up with something other than keeping adding letters to this. But nonetheless... The critics of the governor, I can't believe he's not the bigoted racist. We thought, well, anyone who knows Brian Kemp knows he's not. And all the people who have been vilifying him and joining with Stacey Abrams to ridicule him and mock him, uh, he is proving through his character that he's not the person that Stacey Abrams and the Democrats claimed him to be. 
And he doesn't have to get reelected until 2022. He doesn't stand for reelection until then. And he is building new coalitions. Y'all, I can't emphasize for you enough that the governor of Georgia won 40% of the Hispanic vote. If he can bring that up just a few percentage points, and we're only talking a couple thousand people, the Democrats have no chance against him in 2022. And so you know what the Democrat response is going to be? It's going to be to attack him as a racist still. It's going to vilify him. It's going to be to play up these hysterical claims about concentration camps and the like and tie it to Brian Kemp. They're going to have a very hard time doing that because he's not in the president's shadow now. Many of the Democrats who tried to define Brian Kemp negatively did so because he was endorsed by President Trump. People didn't know him. They didn't like the president. They could. Well, now he's his own man. He's not in the president's shadow anymore. It's going to be very hard for them to vilify him when he is showing up every day, doing good for the people of Georgia, and making sure that people who are oftentimes forgotten about are represented in state government. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. You know, it actually is a good thing to have people of different races and ethnicities and and men and women uh, representing in government instead of having all one way or the other. It actually is. I, I think it is, it's idol worship the way Democrats take it so far. But there's nothing wrong with having people from different life experiences uh, together because we all come from different life experiences. So the more uh, diversity of life experience you have, I notice I'm saying life experience, not skin color or gender, but life experience, uh, the better off we are because people come from different backgrounds. They see things different ways, and, and the governor recognizes that. So I'm just telling you, uh, this this is a funny story to me that Democrats are shocked, shocked, I tell you, shocked. The governor's not the racist bigot we thought he was. Well, he never was to begin with. But you didn't care to be honest about it because you needed to vilify him. You needed to whip people into a frenzy. And I'm telling you, you know, there's more and more data out there that the least served demographic in America is the socially conservative, fiscally liberal person, the person who's okay with higher taxes, bigger government, but is socially conservative. And you know that that class defines most Hispanics, most black Americans, an increasing number of blue-collar Americans. And the time is right for bigger, bigger coalition there that breaks up the Democrat Party. And I'm not in favor of higher taxes. I'm not in favor of big government, but I'm also mindful I'm increasingly in the minority here. Most people don't care about smaller government. I do. But it's very interesting to see how this governor is building his own coalition. That's not necessarily the traditional Republican coalition in Georgia either. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, Atlanta's Evening News. I So I realize I should, right out of the gate, they tell me, go to the big headline. We got to get to the president's uh, event in Orlando last night. There's some data that's coming out of that that's just mind boggling. But I got to tell you, say, our stovetop got crushed a couple of weeks ago. And we actually had some some listeners to this program saw it on Instagram and contributed some cash to get a new stovetop so I can do my cooking videos I've been promising. And we got a wolf induction stovetop. We did. Y'all, 
This shut up. Just shut up. Stop. Stop. Oh, uh, uh, Charlie's giving me a hard time about it because I put up the video on Instagram to show people how fast the sucker boils water. It boiled a pot of water in a minute. Literally, you know, you can only put up a, a video on Instagram that's a minute long. I did a minute video clip and the water was boiling before the minute was up because it's induction on all these stuff. Like, you should have a gas so if You don't understand induction's better than gas because it has more heat control than gas. You can't char like gas can, but I got a grill for that. But oh my gosh. It's, it's amazing. And the other thing is you can put on a pot of chocolate or butter and click the melt button. You can keep that thing there for 48 hours and it will not scorch. It's just, it's incredible. Induction is, it's mind blowing. The 21st century is amazing. It is. And you know, what's going to be even more amazing than the 21st century itself? Campaign 2020. My goodness gracious, how's that for a fancy transition into this topic? The president had his rally last night. People were lining up. Who in their right mind lines up two days before an event? Who does that? Not sane people. I'm not trying to be, I'm just, 48 hours, I got stuff to do and you got to pee. I mean, how do you stand there for 48 hours? But they did. 48 hours, they began the line for this rally for the president of the United States. He raised more money yesterday. Yesterday, folks, in a 24-hour period, the president of the United States raised more money than his Democratic competitors combined raised in the last quarter. $24.825 million raised. I, I I shouldn't say, I guess the top five Democrats, top five or six Democrats, but still all, all the, the people with the potential to challenge him, he raised more money than all of them combined. That's actually staggering that he raised that much money in a 24 hour period. And you know, I did ask because a lot of times what politicians do is they take in these checks and they hold them and they release them all on one day so that they can say, we raised this money in one day. And I did reach out to the campaign and I asked, are these held checks, checks you held on to, so that you could say, this is the money you raised in 24 hours, even though the checks came in a week ago? Nope, 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 nope. This is this online fundraising for the president, same day fundraising for the president, $24.8 million. That gives the president something the Democrats don't have. That gives him coin to begin to define the Democrats early. And he's being helped by idiots like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there claiming that he's running concentration camps and all of us need to become vegan. He is being helped by all of this stuff. The Democrats, you know, I, I was talking to Clark Howard a while ago in the office here. And he said, you know, this is the Democrats race to lose and, and they're going to lose it if they're not careful. Like, yes, they are. George Will saying basically the same thing, that the Democrats out there right now, um, all they have to do is not be crazy, and they can't help it. They're going crazy. And it's theirs to lose, uh, dy dynamically, polling-wise, all, all of that. It, it's theirs to lose, and they're losing it. They're, they're going to lose it. It's, they, they've lost their ever-living mind over this stuff. And, and there's something else crucial that you need to understand about the playbook that's problematic for the Democrats. Now, there's a lot for Republicans to worry about. There really is a lot for Republicans to worry about. So you need to understand this. What is the Democratic strategy right now? Well, there's not one. What's actually happening? The Democrats are responding to President Trump. See, the Democrats, actually, they're not 
the president's not responding to them. They're responding to him. And that's actually something because that puts the Democrats in a defensive position. The president's on offense here as the Democrats are being defined by their responses to the president. That's not the position they wanted to be in. They wanted to be in the position of the president hate-tweeting them. Instead, they're hate-tweeting him, and that's going to be problematic for them. Um, this is a a problem for the Democrats is, is the problem that every campaign has when it is not an incumbent. When the White House is active and engaged, the opposing party with two billion candidates running can't coordinate message very well. And the other problem the Democrats have is this. Nancy Pelosi is trying to keep a very firm check on the Democrats wanting to do impeachment. And they can't help themselves. They are very committed to the idea of impeachment. And because they're so committed to the idea of impeachment, they are messing up their congressional message. Well, I mean, what is the Democrats' legislative message right now? Well, can, can, can anybody tell me what, what are they actually what, – what are they out there talking about? They're not. That's the problem. They're talking about impeachment. They're talking about the president. They're talking about uh, the Trump organization. They're talking about his tax returns. They're not talking about what they're going to do for the country. They're just saying we're not him. And, and you know that message may be effective. There's some polling out there, and this should worry Republicans. Uh, there is polling out there that shows most Americans are actually tired of this season of politics we're in, and they tie that to Donald Trump. They tire their exhaustion of politics to the president, and they're ready to move on. And, and a significant number of Americans, in fact, I dare say it's very close to a majority, it's like 48% of the public, says that they, they are just they're, – they're done with this. They're over it. They are, they're burnout on politics. It's President Trump's fault, and we need to move on. And that's something Republicans need to worry about. I have said all along, and I continue to believe I'm right, that it's not sustainable. It's taken a lot longer to get there than I ever thought it would. But this is something the president is going to have to think about. People get exhausted by it. But what are you responding with to this exhaustion? The Democrats aren't giving people a ray of hope that we'll be through it. What they're giving people is bat crap, crazy responses, concentration camps, death camps, ethnic, ethnic cleansing, saying all these things about the president that simply aren't true. And so do you go with the crazy, you know, or the cray cray, you don't know that that's where we're headed with the Democrats right now. When you got two million of them, the, the only saving grace for the Democrats would be Joe Biden. And the reason Joe Biden becomes tough for the president is because everybody already knows him. Nobody's scared of him. People kind of sort of like him. He was Barack Obama's vice president. And so it's going to be hard to define him as anything other than that. And the presidency knows this. That's why they're really hoping that the, the media is doing their best to make Elizabeth Warren a thing. By the way, there, I saw a story today that the, the Democrats are coming to terms with Elizabeth Warren. That's not really true. This is a this is a media generated story. The, the media believes that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren needs to happen. And so the media is perpetuating this this myth of Elizabeth Warren, that somehow she's better than she is. The people of Massachusetts don't like Elizabeth Warren. She polls terribly there and they know her best. It's going to be really hard to convince the rest of America that she's likable. But remember, you hear this from the media all the time. You heard this about Hillary Clinton, how likable Hillary Clinton. Everyone who works with Hillary Clinton loves her. 
they're so low. Well, of course, have you seen Vince Vaughn? I kidding, kidding, kidding. I mean, seriously though, all these stories about Hillary Clinton and oh, she's so lovable, she's so likable. We just love her. You're hearing the same stories about Elizabeth Warren, and she's completely not likable. Same with Hillary Clinton, not likable. And yet the media wants you to like them, so they run these stories. The Democrats don't particularly care for Elizabeth Warren and all this that 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 she's a thing. Now, no, she's not a thing. If you don't know your numbers, you really don't know your business. And the problem a lot of growing businesses have is they've got a bunch of different systems, so they don't really know their systems. They've got a system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's a big and efficient mess, taking a lot of time, a lot of resources, and it hurts the bottom line. Well, Oracle is introducing NetSuite. It's a business management software. It handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud format, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, HR, everything from your desktop or even your phone. It's why NetSuite's the number one cloud business system in the world. And right now, NetSuite is offering valuable insight with free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Eric. That's netsuite.com slash Eric. Download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits, netsuite.com slash Eric. Now, let's see. I'm going to go to Travis in Fayetteville, calling my program. Welcome, Travis. Thank you, Eric. I'm glad to be back on. I'm glad to have you, Travis. Don't make me regret hey, uh, it. The reason I called... <laughs> I hope not. The reason I called is... It, I don't believe there is a single Democrat in the race who, on their own, can beat Trump. I, I think Trump's going to have to do it himself. Um, they've thrown everything they have at him. Every last bit of oppo research they've spent, they're the ones generating all the outrage, and it's just not moving the needle. And I just don't, I don't think unless Trump hangs himself, he's going to get hung. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So the the president's approval rating bounces between forty two and forty six percent. It's been remarkably stable in that regard. And if he if he's on the the upper end of that and the economy is good, I, I think you have another situation where he could lose the popular vote because North Carolina, because a uh, uh, New York and California and actually win the electoral college. And, and I think to some degree his campaign recognizes this and understands it because what the Democrats forget is that they they've got a uh, an amen chorus in California. New York and major metropolitan areas around the country, but in the rest of the country, they don't. And and there's some concern for Republicans that in you, when you look at states like Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan and in Iowa and Wisconsin, where the president won, but it was close, and the Democrats really won in 2018 with presidential level turnout, that he could have an uphill battle. But you also have to remember. That in a number of these states, you got popular Republicans on the ballot for governor or for Senate. And you could very well see a case of coattails for the president being swept back into office on the popularity of people like Joni Ernst in Iowa and elsewhere. It's a very real possibility here. Now, uh, there's warning signs for the GOP, though, so we shouldn't dismiss those. And maybe we'll discuss some of those when we come back. You know what? I don't want to talk about the presidential prospects right now because I've had a story here 
that I've wanted to talk about for several days. And I, I, I've mentioned it in passing, but because it's written by someone in Atlanta, uh, and I don't want to give you the person's name because I, I just I, I know how many people listen to this program, and so I, I I don't want to give her any undue attention that some people may not give appropriately. Uh, but it, it it is a a woman wrote a piece uh, called Flag Code. She lives in Atlanta, and I, I just I want to read this to you. Perhaps it was in this moment I happened upon the house, unremarkable but for a small American flag, jutting out of its frame like a rhinoceros horn. I hesitated at the sight of the banner so close to my home and was suddenly weary, weary. I saw the flag and without thinking thought it code, patriot, MAGA, make everything white again. Even with all I know about the history of black people in this country, I've never been afraid of the flag. On this day, however, I felt how I feel when I see the Confederate flag. Unsafe. My breath shallowed. When did this happen? When did the sight of an American flag flying from a private residence become something that gave me pause? Perhaps it was the untrusted whiteness of my new neighborhood. Perhaps my reaction was a kind of PTSD, a result of that summer's back-to-back televised police killings of unarmed black men or the murders at Mother Emanuel the year before. Perhaps it was the ridiculous victory of Trump. I saw the flag and remembered what I had been warned time and again about progressive Atlanta. Drive 30 minutes outside the perimeter in any direction, and it's a whole different story. This is a black lady who from the South, moved to New York, and has come back, and you drive 30 minutes outside of Atlanta, and you people are all racist, don't you know? And, and so there, there's a, a white atheist progressive whose website I actually read on technology issues, and he shares this, and, and he, he adds this commentary to it. While I share little of her life experience, I realize while reading her piece that I've developed a similar unsafe feeling around the American flag. It's not a voluntary thing. It's something that has built up over two-plus years of seeing American flags and photos of MAGA rallies and white nationalist marches, but not so much at Black Lives Matter marches or pro-choice rallies. I'm sure you've also noticed the correlation between seeing an American flag emoji in someone's Twitter bio next to the MAGA hashtag and the tendency of that person to act like a misogynist blankety-blank. While it's hardly a new thing, the aggressive, intolerant, nationalistic right has been particularly effective in visibly wrapping itself around the flag lately. It's great branding for them, but it's doing the not doing the flag any favors. Who in their right mind thinks like this? See, you know, I, I've always thought, you know, I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Dubai. I, I didn't grow up in this country. I, I tend to, to try to find a way to, I don't think I can relate to people who look at the American flag and think, oh, must be a racist living there because it's the American, the flag of the Union troops that Abraham Lincoln sent out to free the slaves is somehow a racist. Who thinks like this? I don't know. I, I, I bless their heart. I feel sorry for this lady who has moved to Atlanta and the American flag gives her PTSD. I just, I, 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 I don't. I don't understand. 
It's just, and, and here we have these people thinking this. It's just, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. And you know what part of this is, honestly? Honestly, let me read you a key portion of this lady's um, part here. Perhaps, uh, no, where is this? Perhaps my reaction was a kind of PTSD, a result of, of um, black, nope, that's not, where, where was it? The, the, oh, here it is. Perhaps it was the untrusted whiteness of my new neighborhood. She lives in Midtown now. Lives in Midtown. <sighs> Y'all, this is, this has everything to do with not understanding people on the other side and buying the stereotypes. It, that, that's what this is about. Progressives are more likely than conservatives to live around people who think and look just like themselves and are therefore increasingly tolerant of people on the other side. Consider the Pew poll. This is Pew. This isn't some, some wackadoo conservative pollster. It's Pew. So Pew researchers actually did a poll uh, after Donald Trump was elected that showed that progressives were more likely to believe the government should be used to silence views they disagree with than conservatives. That progressives tend to be more intolerant of people on the other side. Progressives tend to be more hostile to opposing views. And now you, you ask a progressive, and they, well, we're intolerant of intolerance. Mr. Erickson, you're entitled to your opinions. We just don't want you to say them on the radio. I mean, progressives are more intolerant than conservatives. And this goes to it. They, they don't know their neighbors. They, they, I mean, this is a woman who actually writes in a publication. Uh, the publication is uh, the Oxford American, a magazine of the South. She actually writes that, you know, the, the, those you people 30 minutes outside the perimeter, you're all bigots and racists. I was up in Woodstock, Georgia for a, a, a multiracial, multigenerational male, female. Maybe there were some other genders there I couldn't recognize. Event for Michael Caldwell, a young state senator. Well, I think he's young, although Michael Caldwell actually looks older than his dad, which is just staggering to me. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, you, you had you had people there of all races, ethnicities, male, female, young, old, middle aged. I mean, it just in and it was Woodstock is a beautiful place. Or go to my in laws out in Carrollton, uh, where where people are engaged. Go to Madison. I mean, Madison is is like front porch Main Street USA, and you've got people of all races living together, eating together, working together. And here's this woman, oh, 30 minutes outside Atlanta. It's all racist. They all fly the American flag. I don't understand these people. I, I really don't. And the problem is really that they don't understand us. They don't understand you and me. They don't understand Christians. They don't understand conservatives. They want nothing to do with us. They want to live in their little enclaves here in Atlanta. They want to live on the West Coast. They want to live in New York City. And they think terrible things about you and are convinced you believe terrible things about them. And they have no interest in finding out anything about you. And what's so crazy is that that at the moment you say something they disagree with, it it defines you. It is your stereotype. Uh, they can't relate to you except in how they disagree with you. And, and that's not good for civilization. I've got plenty of friends of mine who are Democrat. One of my best friends in Macon that I like to go grab a beer with all the time, and, and, I, and I shouldn't say we're best friends, but just uh, best beer drinking friends, I guess I should say, more most regular going to grab a beer with friends in Macon is Democrat. 
Because you know what? We don't talk about politics. We talk about music. We talk about raising our kids. We talk about kayaking on the river, uh, going to Lake Juliet, um, it, yeah, boiling water. Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 I just, they're there. Man, I don't like the two of you working there together anymore. I just had to bleep my microphone so I could say bad things to the two of them. They're in there mocking me. And they throw me off my very good, qualified, educated point that these people are super intolerant of you and you're not of them. And they are unwilling to get to know you. And so they can write things like this, that they see your American flag that is also their American flag and presume that when you fly it, you're a racist bigot. And they want to be in charge of you. That's the missing point here. They want to be in charge of you. And how can you be in charge? I mean, this is their, their, their overarching critique of Donald Trump, that Donald Trump doesn't understand them. Donald Trump doesn't get them. He, he's a bigot. He's a racist. And he's in charge of people. And they want to be in charge. How can they be in charge based on their own indictment of Donald Trump? By their own logic, they can't. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson. I got less than a minute. Why? Because I was making a brilliant point in the last segment, and and these two people in there threw me off my game by mocking my new stove and its ability to boil water in one minute flat, and they're just jealous. By the way, my friend Martha Zoller texted me. She reminded me, remember the New York Times story about the, the reporter who went down to, to Trump country in Louisiana was was just shocked, shocked that, that he was warmly embraced, treated kindly by nice, humorous people. They really don't know you people. It's kind of like the, the Stacey Abrams stories, how out to lunch the national media was. They just presumed the worst about you. <laughs> 